So, uh, if you've got a Bible, you might want to uh, um, turn to John 10, verses 1 to 10. John 10, verses 1 to 10. My name's Raj. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm one of the elders, along with Simon, Sarush, and Gavin here. Uh, good morning. If you're a visitor to here today, you are so welcome. I've really loved the contributions from some of our visitors, uh, as well as um, some of our regulars, because um, they really fit in with what I feel God has really asked me to speak about this morning, which, uh, as we've been praying together as an eldership team before the summer holidays, has provoked, sparked uh, this new sermon series. So it all fits in really beautifully. I thank God for that. Um, uh, welcome back from the summer holidays. Hope you've had a, a restful time. Um, our kids have had a lovely time too. If, you're, if you have kids, you might be wondering, what on earth is a restful time, Gavin and Haley? Um, um, but yeah, hang in there. Um, we had a great day at, uh, this is Don Smith, by the way, jumping out of a crazy guy. Don Smith jumping out of an aeroplane, and I believe the parachute did come up. Um, next slide. Uh, we had a really great time yesterday at Alice and Jabba's wedding. Um, I mean, wonderful. It was great to have another. We've, had a, we've already had a wedding in Jubilee Church, but also we had another wedding last night. Uh, what a celebration and display of the goodness of God. This wasn't just a wedding. It was a celebration of the goodness of God, the beauty of marriage, Jesus and the church, as Sarush wonderfully unpacked. Uh, for us at the service. So pray for them too as they enjoy their honeymoon over the next few days. And also it's great to have Jonathan and Angela, Sarush and Marvash back all the way from their trip to Turkey um, as they were kind of supporting and encouraging um, uh, one of our churches out there, one of New Frontiers churches out there and Jill and Andy and Lighthouse Church. We'll be, meet, we'll be hearing more about that uh, amazing visit next week. So, as I said this morning, we're going to be kicking off our new sermon series called Life to the Full. Life to the Full, as Ben brought, actually, from uh, that psalm. It talked about it, didn't it? God brings life through His Word. Uh, I'm really looking forward to these next few months as we get into the nitty-gritty of what the Bible calls real life, as we get real and live, if you like, with an expectation that Jesus really does make a difference. You know what? When I look at my life, I dread to think how my life would have turned out if it wasn't for Jesus breaking in and into, in, in, breaking in through his spirit, through the church family, nurturing me, and then eventually us on our journey over the years. I thank God daily for this church. I thank God daily for how he's broken into my life. Um, the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote a big part of the Bible, a man of many letters, a man who had his whole world turned around uh, as he encountered uh, the Jesus of Christianity, as he moved from a, a Jesus persecutor to a, one of Jesus' greatest messengers. He said this in a letter to the Galatian church. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I love that description of life, don't you? 
You see, life is a complex word, isn't it? People have all sorts of ideas about it, what it looks like, what makes it meaningful, what makes life worth living. That's one of the first talks we start with in Alpha. Some people have have actually got so distraught about life that they've ended it themselves. That tragically happened to my brother uh, some years ago now. I recently recently went to a funeral too of a guy, a GP colleague of mine, who felt the same as he ended his life. Life is a big thing. Our ideas of life change as we grow from young to old. As I watch my kids, I kind of think, I pray, Lord, give them life. As we live through this thing called life, the experiences, celebrations, relationships, hurts, milestones, they shape us and they shape our future hope about about what life could really be. Life. Jesus breathed life into us. Question. How would you fill in the blank? Life is How would you do it? The famous philosopher, Forrest Gump, filled in the blank by saying, life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. F. F. Scott Peck began one of his uh, best-selling books, The Road Less Traveled. He wrote, life is difficult. Maybe that blank would be a rat race or a bowl of cherries, I've read. Amino acids, the building blocks of life, a series of choices, a a paycheck, the weekend, a party. Life is complex. Life is a complex word. Why? Because life is complex. And so we want to bring, and so we want to bring, remind ourselves what God says about life. Over the next few weeks, uh, that's where we're going to be going. We're going to be looking at different aspects of life, marriage, parenting, work, possessions, relationships, money, sex, stress, anger, all sorts of stuff, and really see how the gospel, how the joy news of Jesus works. The gospel works. We're going to be getting vulnerable with each other as we talk about some of these things in our community groups. We're going to be challenged by how God sees these things and breathes life into us. We're going to, be get, we're going to get practical, hands-on in how we're called to live this life for God. That's what the next few weeks are about. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you might be thinking, I don't live my life for anyone. That's a good thought. Firstly, though, that's not true. Everyone lives their life for someone. Maybe what you really mean is, I don't live it for anyone else. I live it for me, me, me. But that actually is still someone. On the surface, that might sound pretty harmless, but maybe, just maybe, that actually might be the biggest problem of your life. Once again, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, Finally, dear brothers, at the end of his letter, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you. That is a huge exhortation, if you really think about it, and one that people get all around the world get very upset about today. 
Why on earth should I live for God? And if that's you, maybe you should join us on our Alpha course. Because actually, that's exactly where that journey takes us. As a church, we're praying and being a bold, and, and, and uh, as a church, we are praying and being bold about asking people along, are you? Are you being bold? There's lots of new cards at the back, so invite your family, invite your work, invite your friends. Alpha. And so this morning, I want to start by just giving an overview of what Jesus really promises. This is an an introduction, a brief, relatively brief introduction to the whole sermon series that's coming. Jesus really promises, um, Jesus really promises us life and life to the full. In this passage uh, in John 10, Jesus seems to unfold something better. He gets us to see life in a much bigger way. He encourages us to get out of our small way of thinking and to see life as he really intended us to live. And when we really get it, when we really dig into it, we'll be amazed at Jesus' life compared to the other ways we might fill out that blank. Let's read it, shall we, anyway? Let's read it. John 10, 1 to 10. John 10, 1 to 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, now the Pharisees were the important religious people of the, of the day who, who Jesus felt were always trying to be overbearing and controlling and empire-building in terms of religious practice and life. And so he says to them, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. Where the sheep? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead. And his, and his sheep follow him because we there know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure uh, of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. He was telling them that he was the great shepherd, that he was God himself. That analogy of God being a shepherd goes way back into the Old Testament. They should have got that. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, God himself, have come that there you, me, may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord that that is a promise. I thank you, Lord, that you, that great promise for life and life to the full, life abundantly, is one for us to receive here and now, not some distant place in the future when we touch heaven, but actually right now. And I thank you, Lord, that we get a glimpse of that through your church, that we get a glimpse of that through this beautiful relationship we have in you. And I pray over the coming months and weeks, Lord, that you touch us with this life-giving life, this lifeblood 
of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill each and every one of us as we grasp this, as we live this through, not just through, not just in our minds, but in our actions. I pray, Lord God, that you will transform us from a caterpillar into the beautiful butterfly that you intend. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. Are you disappointed? I don't just mean by what I'm talking about. Or my jumper. I often am. I'm often disappointed with myself. I'm often, um, I often have a nagging sense that all is not as it should be. When I look at different parts of my life, I'm not happy always. Disappointment. Some of, these, some of these disappointments are a little bit trivial. I wish my belly was a bit smaller. I wish I had hair to blow dry like Dave's. <laughs> he doesn't blow dry, by the way. I wish when some curtains needed putting up or a tent needed fixing or a bike needed sorting out, I was able to say, stand back, I'm the expert. But rather, I'm more like Daddy Pig from Peppa Pig, who can't do anything, rather than uh, Nick Knowles from DIY SOS. Sometimes my disappointments are a little neurotic, maybe a bit self-absorbed, trying to big myself up in the middle of crowds, trying to make out that I'm more important that, or wonderful than I really am. I do this, I do that, when really, I don't. Probably someone else has done it. On Facebook or WhatsApp, in meetings, trying to cover, cover, cover my disappointments. I want to be far, far greater than just ordinary. I love this quote, as Garrison Keeler puts it about himself. Under this thin veneer of modesty lies a monster of greed. I drive away faint prayers, beating my little chest, waiting to be named Sun God, King of America, Idol of Millions, the Bringer of Fire, the Great Haji, Thunder, the Boy Giant. That's what Garrison Keeler says. Sometimes I might, sometimes disappointment, sometimes I might go to the kids' beds at night while they're asleep. I'd often do this and maybe hold their hand um, and wish and pray that I could be the dad they really need creating those moments of magic for them, watching them laugh till their tummy hurts, reading patiently stories that come alive for them, showing love that builds them up, praying with them, nurturing their faith. But then I remember how the day really went. When I lost my rag, when Giorgio spilt his milk on the floor as if he'd committed some great sin, when I couldn't be bothered to jump up and down on the trampoline or cook a ball around, in the garden with Jesh under the pretense that I'm really busy. Destructive words that, have might, that might have left little scars on their heart. The way I rushed through story time at night just to get it over with. I'm disappointed with myself. And sadly, there's lots of more, and I'm not going to go into all of that tonight today. As a husband, as a friend, as a work colleague, as a church leader... And the big question is this, where does all that disappointment come from? Lack of self-esteem, poor training, laziness, upbringing, insecurity, there's lots of answers really. And I'm sure those things come into it, but the older and grayer 
I get, the more and more I come to realize that this problem stems from something much, much deeper. That behind all those other things that we've talked about, that I've mentioned, there's something more fundamental about why I have this nagging sense that all is not as it should be. What is it? And the conclusion I keep coming to is that disappointment stems, hear this, disappointment stems from not being the person that God intended me, you to be. Not living the life that God intended me to live. Not living life to the full. It's the greatest struggle of all humanity when you think about it. The struggle between disappointment and hope. That's what Dennis was praying about. You see, Jesus says in verses 10 and uh, 7 that we've just read, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus is the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's a very apt word, disappointment. Disappointment, isn't it? Disappointment comes when we disappoint God from his rightful place. When I remove him from the central place, he longs to play in my life. When I put other things there instead, life stealers instead of life givers. What kind of life stealers am I talking about? I often put this under the five Ps, under five Ps. Life stealers, chasing, passing pleasures all the time, which keep letting you down instead of finding the eternal joy of God that Um, Simon was talking about pleasures. Performance, work, work, work at the expense of all else. A famous tennis champion thought all his life that winning Wimbledon would be the greatest result in his life. And after he'd won, he said this, the thrill of victory lasts about 15 minutes. Ecclesiastes 4.8 says, man is always working, never satisfied. Possessions, more, more, more. When you read the biographies of famous men and women who've made it in life, the common theme at the end of these books is that their love for money often caused heartache, breakdown, loneliness, depression. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. And then there's position, climbing the ladder, stamping on those uh, um, who get in the way, promotion, status, badges. It's an addiction that can never be fed enough. And finally, pursuits, the great delusion of thinking that if I stay busy enough, work hard enough, give my everything to achieve this goal or that, then life will be worth living. Yet often all it results in is stress, ulcers, and heart attacks. These thieves, the five Ps, masquerade as givers of life, but actually they're dispensers of destruction, disease, and death, says the Bible. It's not that they're bad in it's not that they're bad things in and of themselves. No, some of them are very, very good things. We know that. But it's when they become the main thing, when they disappoint God from his rightful place, then they become thieves and robbers in our home. Hear this, disappointment comes from refusing to let God be God 
and putting me or other things in his place. That's the big diagnosis. That's the sinful heart. That's the problem underlying all problems. The Bible is very profound and sophisticated when it comes to this big diagnosis of humanity. Philosophers, sociologists now are really cottoning onto that in their writings. As Tim Keller puts it, a Bible um, teacher in New York, he says, the dis- he puts it like this, the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity, worth, and security, all of those in your relationship and service to God. Doom and gloom. But do you know what? But do you know what? In the midst of disappointment, the Bible doesn't just leave us there. There's hope. Life isn't meant to be like this. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few months. The life half full or empty even wasn't the life that God created you and me for. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life to you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Even in this passage, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what he says. That's what he promises abundantly. As Soren Kierkegaard's prayer goes, and now, Lord, with help, I shall become, with your help, I shall become myself. That's our prayer, isn't it? On the 21st of May, 1972, at the age of 33, that was Jesus' traditional age of death, Laszlo Toth, during the Feast of Pentecost, in a moment of mental insanity, sledgehammered, sledgehammered, bang, 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 the great sculpture by Michelangelo Pieta. This great work of art was a marble statue of the anguished Mary holding the crucified Jesus, her son, in her arms. With 15 blows, he removed Mary's arm from her elbow. He knocked off a chunk of her nose and chipped one of her eyelids. Yet despite, ruined almost, but despite all this damage, Vatican artists amazingly, phenomenally, were able to restore this work to near-perfect condition. As Marvash said the other day in our previous series in Christ, You were created, Jubilee, to be a masterpiece of God. That's how he sees you. You were created in the wonderful, glorifying image of God. That's what the Bible tells you. And Jubilee, hear this. He is determined, like those Vatican um, uh, restorers, he is determined, determined to overcome the defacing of his image in you and me. He's determined. His plan isn't simply to repair most of our brokenness. No, no way. He's, he, he's made us as new creations, men and women restored and revived with the lifeblood of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, living in us, guiding us, bringing Jesus alive to our lives. The great, great shepherd, as we've heard in that passage. Verse 2 to 4 says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. He's lovingly in charge. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listens to his voice. He speaks to us. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He loves us. He knows us. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. That's the God who guides us and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Real intimacy. Beautiful intimacy. 
this isn't mere religion that we're just writing and going through, reading and going through. This is real life. Our story isn't just a story of universal disappointment anymore, but rather through his resurrection life. It's one of certain, definite, secure hope. For you are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. How are you walking? How are you walking? Jubilee, we have a big, big job ahead of us. It's all kicked in again as we approach, as we come into our new year. This is not a sit back and enjoy the ride kind of church. We're not a supermarket that you come to and shop around for what you want. But rather, this is a church all out for the city, a church for the poor, a church for the lost, a church for the broken, a church for everyone inclusive, a church for the nations, a church glorifying God. Are you playing your part? Are you walking with God? Are you living out your life? Are you living out your life with this in mind? Being a follower of Jesus, walking the walk jubilee is costly. And if it isn't, maybe you're on a different path. When I think about Stu, Shirley, lots of people really, Julie, Sarush, Marvash, all of our eldership uh, team actually, Paul and Jill, Paul and Liz, Baz Muhammad, the Earls, John and Sue, I've just named a few, Matthew, Mim, uh, uh, our Ignite gang even, some of those guys, lots of others in the church. I am humbled by their demonstration, your demonstration of the costliness of following Jesus. I am. This is what this sermon series is about. It's about transformation. It's about showing us how the gospel works, the joy news of Jesus, how it works, how it changes lives. It's about an indwelling God, uh, our helper, our advocate, our friend, our comforter, our challenger, whose goal, whose promise is to be with us and bring life, a life of purpose, a life of mission, life to the full. And Jesus is that bridge from disappointment to hope. And, it, and this isn't just about a corner of our house in a house of many rooms either. We can sometimes think of our spiritual lives as just about Bible reading and prayers and going to meetings. But as important as those things are, and they are important, actually our spiritual life, when you read the Bible, is about our whole life. Bits that might be painful, bits that we're ashamed of, bits that we've tried and tried but are still the same. Every bit of our life. God wants to affect our whole being, Jubilee, all of it. Our work life, our approach to relationships, how we handle anger, stress, suffering, singleness, temptation. My prayer is that as we uh, move through these coming weeks ahead of us is that we all see the bigger God through all of this. That you, I, stop disappointing him and putting him back on his rightful place. That you, I, get down on our knees in worship and vulnerability and cry out to him once and more. Once more. That's my prayer. These coming weeks uh, are going to be tough, I think. They're probably going to be a bit controversial, maybe. 
You might not agree with everything. You might have further questions, but can I encourage you, as, you, as always, as you pr- to pray about these things, to grapple with God as He challenges you. Grapple, uh, grapple with God as He speaks to you through His Word. Be true, um, be, be true to His life-giving um, words in the Bible. God the Holy Spirit allowing Him to soften you and mold you and shape you. Can I ask that? I'm going to end this with this. It's a story from a beautiful set of books, the Narnia Chronicles. Uh, And they recently made a film into this one, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a 12-year-old boy called Eustace. And in the story, everybody hates him. He's a pain. His life is not as it should be. There's a real struggle between disappointment and hope. And so in in the story, Eustace finds himself Uh, He finds himself on this great boat boat called the Dawn Treader, taking a voyage uh, on the deep blue sea. And and, and at one point, this boat, the Dawn Treader, that's how the story goes, stops at an island. And Eustace, in all his curiosity, wanders off to explore. And while he's exploring, he finds a cave. And in the cave, he's shocked. Why? Why? Because he sees riches beyond his wildest dreams. Loot, diamonds, rubies, gold, silver. Wow. He gets excited. And he thinks, now I'm rich. Now I have it all. Now I can get all those other people back. Anyone who's laughed at me. All those who've stepped on me. Now I can laugh at them. Now I can step on them. And so as he falls asleep on this pile of treasure, which actually turns out to be the horde of a dragon, And because he falls asleep on this horde with all these greedy, dragonish, wicked thoughts, when he eventually wakes up, he suddenly finds himself transformed into a dragon, big, terrible, and ugly. What was on the inside was now on the outside, and he can't turn it all back. How is he going to face the others now looking like a dragon? What's he going to do? And eventually, through the story, he loses hope. And he falls into deep despair. And then one day, the great lion, lion Aslan, shows up and leads him to a clear pool of water. Aslan represents Jesus in these stories. And suddenly, Eustace realizes, and and Aslan says to him, um, Aslan says to him, you're going to need to undress yourself and jump in. And suddenly Eustace uh, Eustace realizes, ah, undress, take off the dragon skin. That's how you do it. And he begins to gnaw and claw off the scales. And as he's doing it, he realizes that he can shed his skin. And so he peels it all off. And just when he thinks he's done, to his dismay, he finds underneath there's another dragon skin. And so he tries a second time to get this stuff off. And then he tries a third time, but the same thing keeps happening. Underneath, there's a thicker skin. And he gets very frustrated. And so in the end, the great Aslan, a picture of Jesus, says, Child, you are going to, let, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And this is how Eustace tells the story to end. Then the lion said, You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. 
And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than every, anything I'd ever felt. But the only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he, be, well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done, done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more nobly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft. Then he caught hold of me, Aslan, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found out that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. The boy he created me to be. Let's stand. Yes, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the great promises in, the, in your word. And I pray, Lord God, that, you know, as uh, Dennis said, as Dennis prayed out and brought prophetically, as Ben read out that, um, uh, that, that, uh, that psalm, as Stu read out about the Holy Spirit powerfully changing us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work in us from today. I pray, Lord God, as um, Dennis prayed out, uh, uh, exhorted right there, from now on, you will feel the power of God in your life, our lives. And I pray as we break bread uh, this morning, as we sing this next song this morning, that you will start working in us, that you'll start working in the lives of our youth, and our children, that you'll start working in us as we work outside, uh, engaging people from different tribes and tongues and social groups. I pray, Lord God, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities, uh, in, in, in our homes, in different places, Lord, you will use us, shape us, change us, mold us, and then send us out in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for your promise of the Holy Spirit, and I ask it. In Jesus' name, that you'll keep filling us.